Airlines warned the 5G rollout could cause what was described as catastrophic disruption. And for my weekly conversation with David Manilow about trends in the food and beverage industry, we'll check in about what's new in the suddenly hot non-alcoholic beverage category. And he'll share highlights from his recent conversation with Christopher Lackner of the alcohol-free Jing Beverage Company. And so just to back up, yeah, so ours is a hemp-derived uh, or a hemp-based beverage, which means it has cannabidiol, which most people recognize as CBD. That is a, another cannabinoid that is found in the cannabis plant. So you have your THC, which everybody knows about, that makes you want to uh, uh, write poetry and eat a pint of ice cream, perhaps. The CBD is the more relaxing side that just kind of gives you a certain level of comfort and well-being. You know, when I'm trying to describe it to folks, I'm like, you know, CBD is kind of like the exact same thing as caffeine, but in the opposite direction. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, January 19th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. It's time for our weekly check-in with David Manilow about the business of food and things to eat and drink. And we're focusing on that drinking part, only not drinking. It's dry January. We're kind of right in the middle of dry January. And, and that category has really expanded. It used to be if you were not drinking, you were drinking soda and that was kind of it. Maybe a mocktail here and there. But a lot of companies have really risen to that demand and created some, some interesting stuff. What are, what are you seeing happening around town? You know, it's funny because even in Chicago, we have a couple of players in this. Uh, one is Ritual, who kind of does zero proof, but basically they're selling bottles of mock tequila or rum or whiskey or gin, no alcohol, pretty low sugar. Uh, and that's really interesting. So you can use those and create cocktails out of them. I assume you can do them straight. There's another thing called Big Drop, which is actually a non-alcoholic beer, which is brewed by Great Central Brewing Company, which is um, near Fulton Market in Chicago. And then I had a chance to talk to one of the co-founders of Jang. And Jang is doing something really interesting. They're doing a hemp-infused cocktails. And they're basically saying, look, we want to recreate what you're used to. So whether it's an old-fashioned or a Moscow Buell or something like that, they're just doing it. But instead of putting alcohol in it, they're putting CBD. Cannabis, for instance, is giving people an alternative for, um, you know, how they are, you know, creating their their enjoyment. And uh, there's been an increasing push in looking toward, you know, healthier options and better options for, um, you know, what we're doing when we're what we're drinking and what we're eating. You know, we've seen vast changes in the in the food landscape. You know, anything from, uh, you know, plant based uh, uh, meats and you know almond milk, which we take for granted now, which was obviously a unique thing, you know, five, six, seven, ten years ago. And so this uh, opportunity for a alcohol-free cocktail, which seems like a misnomer or an oxymoron at, at the first blush, is actually a really big opportunity. And we're seeing a lot of demand, not just for the uh, younger folks, the younger generations, but older folks who are interested in, in reducing or, or eliminating alcohol from their regular routine. And, and you guys, you kind of mimic popular drinks, is that right? 
Correct. We are an alcohol-free, hemp-infused cocktail company. So we replicate what we think are the classics in the cocktail world. So we have a Paloma, you know, a grapefruit-forward Paloma. Uh, we have a Moscow Mule. We actually have a gin and tonic, which we affectionately call a Jeng and tonic. And we have other drinks in the works. We've got a mojito that's coming down the line, and uh, we'll probably have a margarita in time for summer. So the trends clearly I mean, have changed in alcohol consumption. And I remember, you know, hard seltzers are not that old. But I actually know the guy who runs uh, White Claw and truly are like the Coke and Pepsi of uh, hard seltzer. And that just didn't happen by chance. They kind of saw the trends in people like wanting to reduce alcohol intake better for them drinking. And clearly those have taken off because they've been um, mimicked by, you know, a hundred other brands. And there's been a lot of advancements that have allowed for this to happen, right? There's been obviously policy and, and regulatory changes that people are, you know, more open to cannabis, which is, and I hate to harp back on that, but that's a, a big driver that once we're normalizing the use of the cannabis plant from which, you know, our product is derived, we're not a cannabis beverage, we're a CBD beverage, but it's essentially the same plant. But there's been a lot of regulatory uh, changes that have allowed for this market to expand. And then also just from that general awareness that people are, are really kind of taking stock in their own personal health now. They're looking for changes in the way that we've always taken for granted. And they're finding that there are, um, from a marketing perspective, and I think that White Claw did this in a very good way. You know, this is, you know, a beer, wine, you know, spirits was always the thing. And they just smashed the window and opened up a brand new category. And I think that's what this alcohol-free industry is doing as well. It's like completely blank space that we're all, you know, just trying to jump into and, and, and create. Look, as Chris pointed out in our conversation, you know, it wasn't that long ago that nobody knew what almond milk was or soy milk, or oat milk, or now pea milk, you know, it's, so it's, it's an interesting space. Cocktail programs on menus were such a, a thing for a while there. Are you seeing these non-alcoholic alternatives meeting menu spaces yet? That's a really good question. I have not seen much of them. I know they're, they're starting in a lot of retail stores. So if you go to Whole Foods now, if you go to Foxtrot, if you go to some of these places, you're going to see these. And now I'm seeing some of these um, Jang products uh, in restaurants. And so just to back up, yeah, so ours is a hemp-derived uh, or a hemp-based beverage, which means it has cannabidiol, which most people recognize as CBD. That is another cannabinoid that is found in the cannabis plant. So you have your THC, which everybody knows about, that makes you want to um, uh, write poetry and eat a pint of ice cream, perhaps. The CBD is the more relaxing side that just kind of gives you a certain level of comfort and well-being. You know, when I'm trying to describe it to folks, I'm like, you know, CBD is kind of like the exact same thing as caffeine, but in the opposite direction, whereas caffeine gives you a light lift. We all are very aware of what caffeine does to us on an individual level. And sometimes, you know, your mileage may vary depending on how good you are with caffeine or how, you know. Uh, but CBD is like the, the exact same thing in the opposite direction. So it's just a lightning relaxation, um, but there's no intoxication involved. You guys are taking popular drinks that people have familiarity with and just kind of saying, well, you know what, we're just going to change the equation, take the alcohol out, put the CBD in. Is that basically good? Great way of putting it. Absolutely. And here's our premise. So we strongly feel that a cocktail is more than a delivery device for alcohol. A good cocktail creates conversation. A good cocktail is going to be something that is shared, that is ruminated over, that's discussed. You know, I always say, you know, you grab a, a drink, the first thing you do is you smell it and taste it, and then you hand it to your friend and say, Oh my gosh, goodness, you have to try that. 
So in that respect, the alcohol is only a small portion of it. And just like an almond milk latte or a soy latte, we're able to kind of recreate these classic cocktails just to have that one component missing that, to be honest, a lot of people are you know, not necessarily interested in having anymore. And then the other aspect that I think, you know, from our business perspective is that, you know, the CBD industry, as it is growing and people are becoming more comfortable and familiar with hemp, there's still a little bit of a, a challenge of getting people to make the jump and the transition into it or giving it a shot. And we feel like um, by creating cocktails that people are already familiar with, that it gives them a good way to introduce themselves into uh, the idea of hemp-based uh, beverages. So for, for me, I would say the Moscow Mule, you know, I drank a lot of Moscow Mules, you know, and now I'm looking to maybe reduce my alcohol consumption. Well, here's a Moscow Mule. I know that flavor. I know that experience. It's easy for me to give this a shot. In New York, for instance, they have alcohol-free liquor stores. It's like spirits, but the entire store is alcohol-free, and they're doing really well and expanding. And so if you go to the grocery stores in town, you'll find sections that's just offering either alcohol-free stuff or, in addition to that, some prepackaged alcohol stuff. I've seen a lot of that for a couple of years, those kind of pre-made cocktails. I wonder if in the pandemic time, when when people were allowed to get to-go cocktails and pre-mixed, I wonder if that increased or decreased the interest there? I'm guessing it increased because more people are thinking about cocktails than just what do I know how to make? Suddenly you didn't have to know how to make it. You could just sort of get it. Right. And I think that's a really good point. And as a matter of fact, uh, I stumbled across some big star margaritas and palomas at Whole Foods. Now, big star is the kind of the celebrated taco place. That just would seem to me that when you could do to-go cocktails, they decided to just make their own, do it to go, put cans, and why not get them off to retail stores. I would say there, there is a couple of differences in some of these pre-made. You have to check things like sugar content. And obviously, if it's a pre-made cocktail, probably the sugar content is a lot higher than if it's just them trying to recreate a tequila on its own. I'm very curious about where this section of the market will go of the beverage space, because I do feel like there was a lot of people, this is just anecdotally, but I feel like a lot of people were posting about early in the pandemic, being home a lot, drinking a little more. And then it kind of moved into a conversation of people going, I think I drank too much during the earlier part of the pandemic. I'm trying to dry out. I do wonder if that's just kind of the communal, the group think right now of people wanting to drink less that as you said, goes hand in hand with wanting to make healthier food choices. You know, we are doing very well in on-premise locations. So uh, the need for an alcohol-free alternative is increasing in restaurants and bars. Uh, and we do very well in a lot of upscale locations. So uh, the Pomeroy in Winneka, for instance, is a French bistro that opened in uh, late uh, 2021. And, you know, we do very well there because, you know, the folks who live in Winneka, folks who maybe are a little bit older, folks who are foodies, are still looking for that alcohol-free alternative. And then everywhere from, you know, 501 Local also in Winneka, the uh, um, Spirit Elephant in, in Winneka. Uh, you know, these are places that I think that one classically wouldn't think, oh, this is a good place for a for a hemp beverage. But, you know, we're actually finding out we're getting good traction there. Yeah, it's all the Winnekaites who used to smoke pot in their garage. And now they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I can do this at a restaurant? How great is that? I would think that, like, a pot infused, I'm just using the generic term, I guess. Absolutely. You know, that would kind of make sense with food, maybe even more than a, a cocktail, a typical cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the applications for a hemp infused beverage are many. 
The one thing that I always say is that as cannabis, the THC-based uh, cannabis that is you know regulated in dispensaries, etc., as that becomes more normalized, people are consuming cannabis before they go out. So whether they're going out to eat or whether they're going out to a bar to see a show, a play, etc. And so there is not so much of an interest in drinking alcohol. People, you know, wise, smart people know not to mix the two. And so they're looking for an alternative. They still want to enjoy the cocktail experience, uh, but they don't, you know, want that booze interfering with uh, their enjoyment of, of cannabis. The other thing that's of interest is that we're seeing with, you know, bars that are, uh, whether it's a comedy show or a musical act or whatever, as a draw to bring people in to drink beer, folks are coming in, you know, paying the cover charge and just drinking their water. <laughs> and that's there's, that's no way to run a bar. <laughs> and so, you know, one of our, um, you know, proposals or offerings for these, uh, these bars that are, you know, maybe losing a little bit of income because of uh, this alcohol-free movement or the use of cannabis is that, you can move this product in such a way that is, you know, at the same price point as a, as a can of beer. If you go to the CDC website, the moderate drinking description for a person in America is for men, two drinks a day, and for women, one drink a day. So for men, that's 14 drinks a week. That's moderate. Okay? That's moderate. People in this country drink a lot of alcohol. Right. And I just think you're finding the younger people because I have four kids and three of them qualify. They're in between, you know, 21 and up. And when they come over and I offer them a cocktail, they're grabbing a hard seltzer or they're saying no. So maybe it's because they just don't want to have a cocktail with your dad. But regardless, you know, they'll grab something that, that just seems to be kind of like better for them or kind of a, something less that's just they're just going to drink and not be able to control their intake. It will be interesting to to watch that space and and see where it where it grows into next indeed. I think so. You know, they have like there's dry January, there's apparently sober October that's coming up, and then there's a little bit of sober curious moment that's happening in the world, right? If I just cut everything out, what that's going to be like, and that may have been a reflection of how much people drank early in the pandemic. They're just saying enough. I did have a rule for myself starting in college that I would never drink more than three days in a row because I just thought you could kind of go down a path. And I have kept that uh, up since college. So, you know, it's just something I use to kind of keep a little bit of discipline in my life. Everybody needs a guardrail. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's something while well, it was in college, it was a little easier. I'd say, well, like if I'm drinking on Wednesday, then what am I going to do Thursday, Friday and Saturday? I can't drink on Saturday, you know? So it's like, you kind of just guardrail is, is a interesting way of putting it, but it's a fascinating time. I read that even in ritual, they got a, a fairly early investment by Diageo, which is a huge liquor company. So the big boys are making investments in CBD companies, in alcohol-free companies. So they must see the trend or they must see at least it's, it's a strong possibility. Certainly. Well, one I'm sure we will talk about again. Thanks so much, David. Thanks, Amy. Great being with you. Coming up, as the Omicron variant continues to surge, the effort to vaccinate young children stalls, and an analysis of federal data shows that vaccination rates vary substantially across the U.S. We'll talk about that and more right after this.
Crane's Audio Studio is proud to introduce the podcast series Four Star Stories. It debuts with Bronzeville, reported in three chapters by Dennis Rodkin. Once known as the Black Metropolis, Bronzeville is being reshaped by a construction boom that is revitalizing thousands of vacant lots. Home prices have soared to levels that buyers and sellers, even less than a decade ago, could never have imagined. Can this be done in a new way without forcing out longtime residents? And can it be done with respect for what's been there, including a deep reservoir of black community and achievement? To create a new Bronzeville that welcomes others, but that is still very clearly the heart of this unique Midwestern black experience. The Bronzeville series from Crane's Audio Studio is part of Four Star Stories, Crane's ongoing effort to uncover Chicago's past, present, and future through the voices of the people who live and work here. Search Four Star Stories wherever you listen to podcasts to hear the full trailer and to subscribe. Chapter One debuts January 24th. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. A trade association representing major U.S. airlines asked Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and top communication and aviation regulators to prevent wireless carriers from putting 5G services close to airports. Reuters reported that the group Airlines for America warned in a letter on Monday that the traveling and shipping public could see what they described as catastrophic disruptions if the new C-band frequencies were put into service within two miles of where planes fly. Wireless carriers, including AT&T and Verizon, reached an agreement with federal regulators earlier this month to delay the launch of the new service to this week. Airlines are worried the signals could interfere with instruments that measure a plane's altitude after the FAA limited certain flights landing near 5G towers. As reported by Bloomberg, a memo to staff from JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said the airline could face potentially significant disruptions to flights upon the 5G rollout this week that will, quote, further stress our already fragile air system and disrupt the traveling public. And he said the move could set back the aviation industry's pandemic recovery efforts. The FAA reportedly granted approvals on Sunday that will allow some planes to operate within zones where new 5G wireless services are being used, significantly reducing the potential impact on flight schedules. The FAA said that the decision allows landings during low visibility at as many as 48 of the 88 U.S. airports with equipment for such arrivals. Analysis is ongoing and a majority of airlines, including Boeing 777 and 787, are still subject to limitations, meaning some level of disruption is likely. Phone companies have implemented 5G systems in Europe and Asia without flight disruptions. After the FAA raised concerns in December, the EU Aviation Safety Agency said it hadn't noticed any unsafe interference within the region, but that it would monitor. It asked operators to be on alert and suggested higher power levels may be a factor in the U.S. Mid-morning Tuesday, AT&T announced that it would delay 5G on some towers around certain airports. According to a statement from the AT&T spokesperson, quote, we are frustrated by the FAA's inability to do what nearly 40 countries have done, which is to safely deploy 5G technology without disrupting aviation services. And we urge it to do so in a timely manner, she said. Chicago retailers like Ulta Beauty and Walgreens are shortening store hours, citing staff shortages and safety concerns related to the Omicron variant. A spokesperson for the Bolingbrook-based retailer told Crane's Ali Marathi that all of Ulta's 1,302 stores have altered their hours through February. 
And the largest drugstore chains in the U.S. have taken similar measures. The Wall Street Journal reported that CVS has closed some of its pharmacies on weekends. And CVS rival, Deerfield-based Walgreens, has also shortened some of its store hours and, in some cases, closed pharmacy locations while keeping the retail part of the store open. Roughly 1% of the chain's 9,000 locations have been affected by shortened hours on weekends. But the issue isn't exclusive to retail. A tight labor market has been impacting the restaurant industry for almost a year, and many establishments were slow to reopen after closures last year and have since shortened hours. And when the Omicron variant first began its surge last month in Chicago, several restaurants closed completely for days or weeks after workers tested positive. Two months after Chicago billionaire Ken Griffin promised to go, quote, all in to support an opponent to beat Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, the governor made a large contribution to his own re-election campaign. The $90 million contribution by Pritzker was disclosed through filings on the Illinois State Board of Elections website on Friday. Pritzker has contributed tens of millions to his gubernatorial campaign as well as for the ballot measure in November of 2020 to shift the state's flat tax rate to a graduated tax that failed to pass with voters. Disclosure records show that as recently as this past spring, Pritzker contributed $35 million for his re-election. The latest amount comes as several local outlets reported that Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin was planning to announce his candidacy to oppose him. Pritzker's campaign spokesperson Natalie Edelstein said in a statement, quote, The governor knows that the fight for reproductive freedoms, a strong fiscal future, public health and an economy that works for everyone is on the ballot in 2022. Adding, quote, We cannot afford to let Republicans drag us backwards. Two months after Pfizer's COVID vaccine was authorized for kids ages 5 to 11, according to January 12th data from the CDC, just 27% of kids have received at least one vaccine, and only 18%, or just 5 million children, have received both doses. The national effort to vaccinate kids has stalled even as the Omicron variant has interrupted education for millions of kids and their families amid staffing shortages, closures, and disagreements over how to safely operate. And vaccination rates vary substantially across the U.S., a KHN analysis of the federal data reveals. Pediatricians say the slow pace and geographic disparities are alarming, especially against the backdrop of record numbers of cases and pediatric hospitalizations. School-based vaccine requirements for students, which some pediatricians say are needed to boost rates substantially, remain virtually non-existent. Nearly half of Vermont's 5 to 11-year-olds are fully vaccinated, while fewer than 10 percent have gotten both vaccines in nine mostly southern states. In Louisiana, where 5 percent of kids ages 5 to 11 have been fully vaccinated, Governor John Bell Edwards, a Democrat, added the vaccine to the list of required school immunizations for the fall over the objections of state legislators who are largely Republican. D.C. and California, where about one in five elementary school-aged kids are fully vaccinated, have added similar requirements. But those places are exceptions. Fifteen states have banned COVID vaccine requirements in K-12 schools, according to the National Academy for State Health Policy. Dr. Samir Shah, a director at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center, told Bloomberg that compounding the problem is that states with low vaccination rates are also less likely to require masking or distancing or other nonpartisan public health precautions. He added that vaccine requirements are one of multiple, quote, scientifically valid public health strategies, adding that while he thinks that would be ideal, he said, I don't think that we as a society have a will to do that. Vaccine demand grew in November with an initial wave 
wave of enthusiasm after it was approved for younger kids. But parents have vaccinated younger children at a far slower pace than 12 to 15-year-olds who became eligible in May. It took nearly six weeks for one in five younger kids to get their first shot, while adolescents reached that milestone in just two weeks. An expert cites several factors slowing the effort. Because kids are less likely than adults to be hospitalized or die from the virus, some parents are less inclined to vaccinate their children. Misinformation campaigns have fueled concerns, and finding appointments at pharmacies or with pediatricians has proved difficult for many. Dr. Yvonne Maldonado, chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Infectious Diseases, told Bloomberg, quote, One of the problems we've had is this perception that kids aren't at risk for serious illness from the virus, adding, that's obviously not true. Kids can develop debilitating long COVID symptoms or a potentially fatal post-COVID inflammatory condition. And new research from the CDC found that children are at significantly higher risk of developing diabetes in the months after a COVID infection. Other respiratory infections, like the flu, don't carry similar risks. But even within states, rates vary dramatically by county based on political leanings, density, and access to vaccines. More than a quarter of kids in Illinois' most populous counties around Chicago and Urbana are fully vaccinated, with rates as high as 38 percent in DuPage County. But rates are still below 10 percent in many of the state's rural and Republican-leaning counties. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. And thanks so much to today's guest, David Manilow. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist because that's the best way for others to discover our episodes. You'll also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and on LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.